My name is Victor Young, and I am your daily life coach. Thank you for joining me today. I have a very controversial podcast that uh, I'm going to bring to you today. I was really torn whether or not I wanted to hop into this arena and actually create a podcast right now, or if I just wanted to sit this one out. And I received so many direct messages, emails, and requests for some type of opinion, guidance, explanation that I decided I decided to go ahead and hop in the arena here, hop in the ring and read a podcast about what's going on in, in the nation right now with the murder of Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, the incident in Georgia recently, the slaying in Kentucky, and countless other incidents. And I had to sit back and I had to think about this and say, okay, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to say about all this? It's There's so much weight on my shoulders from waking up every day and watching the news and feeling helpless to make a change in the country that I love so dearly. I am an American, proud to be an American, love my country, love the madness of America. And this country means a lot to me. So when I see the separation and division that's currently going on, and unfortunately has been simmering and brewing and coming and going for years, decades, centuries, it, uh, it sucked the life out of me. I, I had to really think about what do I want to talk about? How can I make change? How can I shed some light on any of this? And I realize it's too big for me to really cover the scope of everything in one episode and one podcast. So I decided to focus on a few different things, really try to compress and collapse my emotions and thoughts and experience with what's going on right now. So the one thing I decided to talk about in this podcast is what if I were a police officer? What if the Victor Young wore a shield dressed in blue? Not all police officers wear blue, but you know what I mean. Some wear green. Some police officers wear pink. You know, I think anyone who knows a police officer, they can be rather adventurous after hours. But we're just going to go with the men and women in blue. That's what we're going to focus on. What if Victor Young was a police officer? What if I had that police issue revolver, a shotgun in my trunk, an assault rifle, maybe even a dog? I could make one of my golden doodles my side kick. You notice how I broke the syllables up and said side kick. There's so many of you out there who have grabbed this sound bite and put out on the street that I was talking about side chicks. So, just to be clear, once again, I said side kick. For you millennials, that means like, you know, your homeboy, your bro. For you old schoolers, your partner in crime, your ace. Let's continue. So the name of this podcast is called, What If I Were a Police Officer? Law Enforcement. What would my day look like? I'm going to go watch Training Day tomorrow. So I'm going to watch a little 
Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. A little training day after this podcast just to make sure I've got my priorities and my agendas in line. I think that's a pretty good visual SOP of the life and times of a police officer, right? Eh, maybe not. Maybe that's a little bit glamorized for Hollywood, but what would my day look like? What if you were a police officer? I want you to think about it right now. Stop helping your kid with his homework. Don't wash any more dishes for a moment. Stop and think, what would I do? How would I behave? And how would I represent and interpret the laws that I have sworn an oath to uphold? First off, I'd like to start by saying this. I like myself, and one of my missions would be, while upholding the law, not after I uphold the law, or if I uphold the law, but while upholding the law, being a good lawman, I would also have a commitment to myself to go home to my family every single night. That would be a mission for me. I want to go home. Alive and not in a body bag. Just, I want to be really clear on that because some people say you can go home a lot of different ways. I would actually want to stick my own key in my door or hit my own garage door opener and I would want to go home just like non-law enforcement officers get to do after a shift. An IT guy gets to go home or a, I don't know, whoever else it could be. And then after that, I just do cop stuff, right? What do cops do? I do cop things. I'd roll around in my patrol car, clean my weapon, go to the range, fire off some rounds, keep that center mass tight, boom, boom, right? Nice tight grouping. Hit the gym, work out, make sure if I got a tussle, boom, I got you. I'd make sure my taser is charged up and you never know. I mean, you get that, that in-betweener. Not, not quite ready for a billy club or a, a gun, but it could be a little slippery, squirrely. Just, you know, I'm just going to go with my taser here. Don't quite want to put my hands on you. I got that in-betweener working. Make sure I got a full can of mace, tear gas, whatever they use these days. Pepper spray. And I would go on patrol. I'd wait for a call. Before I answer my first call, let me tell you a little bit about an experience I had. I'll tell you a little bit about an experience I had as a young man, early 20s. Um, hadn't quite come into all these good looks and success that I currently possess, but was on my way. And I owned a late 70s, I think it was a 79 Bronco, full size. I got to go check the year. It might have been early 80s. I think it was late 70s, though. I got to check the year on that thing. Blue with black rolled steel bumpers. I remember that thing. 35-inch tires. 400 motor, 400 transmission, 12 bore rand. It was, it was a man's truck, right? And I remember this day, I'm driving through Temple Terrace, Florida. Hmm, T-Town, what's up? And I'm driving through Temple Terrace, and I've always been a very aware person. And I remember watching this car full of jits. Y'all know what jits are? See, in the South, jits were these, you know, young kids, punks, thugs, and they're driving down the street in the car. And as they're driving down the street, they pull into the parking lot of this grocery store. I think it was like an Albertsons or something. And there's an old lady with her walking cart. 
You know those stand-up carts with two wheels that the older ladies used to use back in the day? And it's like the first or second of the month, so clearly she'd probably just gotten some type of a retirement check or Social Security, and she's got her little baggie full of groceries. And she's walking across the parking lot, and she's walking back to her little village. And these guys pull in, and I can see this unfolding. Because when you grow up in a tough neighborhood, a.k.a. dim streets, you have spidey senses. You know when something is about to pop off. Something's about to happen. Unfortunately, most millennials don't have those senses anymore that we grew up with, but it's okay. They have the internet. And I can see these guys pull in, two doors open on one side of the car, and I saw two of these young punks jump out, and they run towards this old lady. And I knew what they were going to do. And they grabbed her purse. She tried to hold on. They pull her down to the ground. And I'm still driving. I'm watching this as I'm driving. My instincts, not knowing who this lady was, kicked in. And I turned the steering wheel right on my Chevy Blazer. It's a Blazer, not a Bronco. Did I say Bronco earlier? Definitely Blazer. I own a Bronco now. Maybe that's how it jumped into this. But let me finish the story. Stop interrupting me. Jeez. I'm talking here. I pull the wheel to the right in my, in my blazer, my full-size Chevy blazer. And I jumped a curb. I went over a hedge. And they were driving this, uh, this box Chevy. This sounds, like a, this sounds like Boys in the Hood, right? They're driving a box Chevy. And I just remember running into the back of this car without touching the brakes. I, was, I just immediately locked on to this old lady. She's laying in the parking lot. They grabbed her purse. They're getting in the car. And as they're getting in the car, I'm jumping the curb. I'm through the bushes. And I smash right in the back of their Chevy. Boom. I could see their heads jerking back from the whiplash. The trunk flies open. The car darts off like it was out of a slingshot when I impacted it. They hit the gas. There's gas rolling out of the fuel tank, and they skirt off down the street. Now, statute of limitations has uh, expired on this. So for you law enforcement guys, <laughs> sorry. But that was, like, that was just instinctive for me. I've never told this story to anyone before. My wife is probably listening to this going, I married a damn thug. Oh, my gosh. But that's not it. It was my protective instincts kicked in. And the weapon of choice I had at my fingertips was my blazer. And, of course, I go over. I help the lady up. I help her pick up her groceries, which her eggs were broken. I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I was kind of broke. And I gave her a few dollars. She's crying. I stayed there until the police came. I told them what happened. They were like, did you, did you get the license plate number on the car? I was like, ah, yeah, about that. I couldn't see it because the back of the car was kind of smashed and it was bent under. So I couldn't see the license plate. So sorry. Oh, well, so much for that technique, huh? It's probably a stolen car anyway. But anyway, why, why did I just think it was okay? Why did I respond with a, I don't know, 6,000-pound Chevy Blazer 
400 engine, 400 transmission, 12 bolt rear end, Mac Daddy, bad boy off road vehicle. For all you wheelers and mudslingers, you know what I'm talking about. That was bad boy stuff. Why? Couple, I thought about it and I wanted to be helpful. I, I had this uh, thing where my father was a good old Southern boy and he always wanted to help disadvantaged individuals. That was his thing. And, and his thing became my thing. I wanted to be that guy. My dad was my hero and I wanted to be like him. So in that moment, I just reacted. Now thinking about today, let's fast forward. I'm driving down the street in my Lamborghini <laughs> or my BMW or my F-250 truck, whatever. I'm driving one of my, one of my vehicles in my suit and I see some young people jump out and I grab a, they grab an old lady's purse. This is today, modern day, fast forward. I would probably safely turn my vehicle into the parking lot using my blinker. Of course, I would help her up and I would probably replace the money that was taken from her. I would wait with her until the police arrived and I would give a accurate police report. That's today. Now what's the difference between Victor at, I don't know, 20 years old, however old I was at the time. Hold on. Statue, statue limitations. I was 20 years old. Okay. And, uh, and Victor of today, why wouldn't I take a nice M5 comp package, $140,000 car, smash it into their Chevy, jump out brazenly? A few different reasons. Today, as a citizen, you do that, and you go to jail, and you get arrested, and you get sued by the people who are robbing old ladies. They say, you hurt my collarbone, and they get an attorney, and I would be sued. And... As an adult, I've also learned I can't take matters into my own hands. I'm not a militia. I'm not a judge and jury. I'm a citizen, and I would do everything I can to protect that individual and safeguard them until the proper authorities arrived who were trained to execute an investigation, a pursuit, an arrest of someone who has broken the law, and then I would count on the court system to prosecute this individual and make sure they serve out their sentence. That's today. So you're asking yourself right now, does my socioeconomic position, does my money and success affect the way that I would actually engage helping a citizen today? What do you think, I'm a sellout? No, you're damn right it does. When someone doesn't have much to lose, they respond completely differently than someone who has much to lose. And the reason I want to make this point and bring this up and share this experience with you is because there are individuals who have nothing to lose right now. They're in fear, they are lost, and they are hopeless. And I'm not talking about looters, just so you know. I'm talking about people who are protesting, people who have lost loved ones, sons, husbands, nephews, friends, fathers, and they're desperate. And they're afraid. Now, I'm going to circle back to my day in life as a police officer in a minute. But something else I want to share with, with everyone is this before I finish in that area. When someone's afraid and they feel that all hope is lost and they feel that their demise is unavoidable, something bad is going to happen, 
because they've lost their shields. They've lost their protector. They've lost their brother, their father, their husband. They've lost their son that's given them hope to get up in the morning and work, fight through a terminal disease or walk another tough road they may walk every day. They've lost it. The next thing in line for that individual is this. And this is something that I learned later in my life from my mother who was losing a fight to cancer. When she received her second diagnosis, I knew at that point life was going to be completely finished on her terms. Not mine, not my brother's, not my sister's, not my uncle's. She was going to make the decision how and when she left this earth. I knew that we were not going to talk her into any more treatment. I knew we weren't going to talk her into taking a cruise around the world. I knew that we weren't going to talk her into anything she did not want to do from that point forward. And I learned to respect the power of an individual choosing how they die, choosing how their demise looks or feels, feels or plays itself out. And it was painful as hell. And for the individuals who couldn't see this or weren't able to see this, they were probably confused. Why isn't she fighting? Why doesn't she try this? You know, I'm on a medical board. Why didn't she ask or let me help her with another specialist or scientist or clinical trial? It was because she'd made the decision. It was her fight from that point. And it hurt like hell. But my respect for my mother dwarfed my pain of losing her. What does my mother's death have to do with protest and law enforcement and hate and division and separation in this country? If you've never protested, if you've never felt lost, alone, if you've never had to surrender to darkness that seems inevitable, it's coming for you. You won't understand. But when someone has no voice or someone knows the outcome, they'll behave in different ways that you will never understand. And until you've been in that situation, when you've received that diagnosis or you're in a tragic accident or you're in that moment where your death, your life, your death, they are becoming one and the same. You won't understand. Now, let me get back on track. I had to make those points. And we'll talk more about the protest and some of the other things that are going on later. We'll get back to that stuff. But I really wanted to focus today on what if I were a police officer? What if you were a police officer? First off, I think murder is not cool. Uh do I believe in the death penalty? Yeah, I'm a death penalty guy, just so you know. I'm sorry for you people who don't. I If someone is like beyond the shadow of a doubt guilty, there's like tons of evidence they've done something that's just disgustingly corporal and murdery, and I'm down with that. I'm not going to lie. But someone serving at a sentence for something horrific, a school shooter, a baby killer, 
I think he needs to get his day or her day. We used to have old Sparky in Florida, but I think they tried to switch old Sparky over from coal and natural gas, good old electricity. They switched it over to this uh, e-machine and didn't have quite the voltage. Didn't go clean. And But anyway, that's neither here nor there either. Murder is not cool. I actually had a friend of mine who was a law enforcement officer said, I'd kill for you, man. But he says, all right, let me let me go back. I love you, I'd kill for you, but I wouldn't murder anybody, just so you know. That's a whole different deal. And I remember asking him, what's the difference between killing someone and murder? Killing is you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your loved ones, your family, the citizens that you've sworn an oath to protect. You may have to kill someone, and it may suck, and it may hurt, and it may give you nightmares at night, but if you've done the right thing, you can live with it. Murdering is selfishly making a decision to take someone's life who didn't earn it. That's murder. So just so you know, I think a law enforcement officer may have to kill someone at some point in his or her career, whether they've been attacked by someone or they're saving someone else from an attack. It's going to happen. And that's part of the job, and it's something that we've got to be comfortable with. Every now and again, there's going to be a guy with a gun or with a knife stabbing people or dropping babies out of windows or doing something stupid, blowing something up, and there's going to have to be that hero who steps up and takes the shot. It's going to happen. But let's talk about murder. Murder occurs when someone has been subdued, Someone has been bested in battle. They are no longer a threat. And an individual decides to become that executioner, the jury, the judge, and makes the decision. Murder occurs when an individual has demonstrated a non-lethal act that doesn't involve an assault, an attempt at taking life, Even a kid selling drugs, I hate drugs, I don't do drugs. But if a kid selling drugs at college gets caught selling weed on campus, do you go choke him out and kill him? If a guy shoplifts, steals a pack of cigarettes and a soda, the cigarettes and the corn syrup and the soda's going to kill the guy anyway. My goodness. We don't need to expedite his death. It's not a death sentence. Those charges. Someone hops the gate on a subway and gets a free subway ride. Is that, is that death, punishable by death? But in the moment, we act. Just like in my Chevy Blazer. I just turned the wheel before I knew it. I was over the curb, through the hedge, and right into the back car. And right into the trunk, the rear end of that Chevy. That box Chevy car they were driving. It had some music in it. It sounded good until I hit it. So how can we prevent police officers from being so amped up, so hyped up to uphold the law that they're willing to break the law? All right, let me think about this. What if I were a police officer? What would I do? Hmm. I'm a little hyper. I was a fighter growing up. I'm the youngest of a lot of children. So... I would probably need some training. You would probably need to tell me why I needed to use certain weapons and why I shouldn't use certain weapons. 
you would probably need to give me scenarios that in the event this occurred, this is how you handle it. If this occurs, this is how you handle it. I know you can do a lot of stuff in the academy. But what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? What does that reoccurring training look like that can ensure you an individual knows how to behave, how to interact, how to keep himself safe while protecting others and avoiding a murderous encounter because adrenaline is high and I have sworn an oath to protect Murder isn't cool. You know, when I used to box and when a man's going down or he's knocked out, you you can't punch that guy while he's knocked out sleeping. I know he might have punched you 340 times in the first seven rounds of that fight before you knocked him out. But it doesn't give you the right to while he's on the ground sleeping after you put that two-piece on him to continue to punch him until he's dead while he's down. Now, have I ever punched a guy on his way down? Yeah, probably so. Did I do it because I wanted to do it? Was I aware that I was doing it? No. He got punched. I hit his knockout switch. He's on the way down. And I already had another shot coming behind it. I was unleashing the two-piece. He got them both. If you order the two-piece, you get the two-piece. It's adrenaline. So then a ref jumps in between me, and he says, that's enough, he's down, bell's rung, his bell's rung on the ground, and all is good. They revive him, probably got a concussion, he goes in the concussion protocol, and he gets to live and fight another day. Now, If that referee wasn't there, if that trainer wasn't there with me working on real-time scenarios, if I didn't have that sparring partner that I was able to demonstrate and execute extreme emotional intelligence and control under duress with high levels of adrenaline pumping, there's no way I could control the beast. Big rock. The beast would come out and I would pound someone until my adrenaline resides. So what do you do with all that pumped up testosterone? What do you do with that? Number one, there's got to be something bigger than you. Because testosterone, that excitement, that adrenaline can be controlled if your values are laser sharp. Your training is current and laser sharp good training and you've demonstrated the proper behavior over and over again so let's go to demonstration how many strikes should a law enforcement officer be able to receive before it's been deemed that he's not emotionally mentally the right guy for the job i don't know it's not my job but i'm sure there's someone out there that can work on that but until we're able to figure that out Here's the one thing that I think needs to happen. I need peer accountability. We can write legislation that's like a policy at work that everyone ignores. We can 
continue to go down this path that we're on every single day. But the fact of the matter remains until there's peer accountability from other law enforcement officers to check their brothers and sisters when they're making a bad call, a bad decision, we will not see an impact. We will not see a change. I've seen situations where a city has had a issue with violence in the community while making an arrest or just being violent in general in every situation. And they'll go out and they'll hire a police chief or a sheriff that is the opposite of those individuals. And they'll say, he'll, he'll get it cleaned up. She will get it cleaned up. And the fact of the matter is this, without peer accountability, it's easy for us to cover for each other, like brothers and sisters. What happened? I don't know. We missed it all, Mom. We walked in just like you did, surprised. Without peer accountability, there's no way we can expect change, hope for change, wish for change. There has to be an officer that says, Officer Young, that's enough. We got him. Take a knee. Have a seat. Sit in your cruiser. Go get looked at by the paramedic. You might need a stitch. Get you a cup of coffee. I love donuts. Get a brother a donut. Something, right? There has to be peer accountability from the brothers and sisters in blue to say enough. You don't have to arrest the guy or female. You don't got to do some death-defying pledge against your brothers and sisters in blue. If people on the street have enough sense to say no, that will get us arrested. Let's go drink instead and have a party. Then our law enforcement officers should be able to say, no, that's a bad idea. We need to keep our jobs and help citizens. We've got them. That's it. And I know you're thinking right now, if you're a law enforcement officer, Victor, you're full of crap. It's not that easy. I probably had more fights in my life than several law enforcement officers combined because that's the neighborhood I grew up in. It's the era that I grew up in. And I understand that not everyone fights fair. Some people slip through your arms like a baby, go baby limp, and then just slide all to the floor, and it's hard to get your hands on them. Some people say they surrender, and they throw punches at you, or grab a knife or a gun. I mean, you name it. Trust me, I get it. I've seen women cry, I'm just a girl, and throw some hot bacon grease on a guy and pop him in the head with a skillet. Open them up. You name it. People don't fight clean. I know this. I, I've seen all kind of things growing up. And the fishbowl, Tampa, Florida, Nucio Park, 50th Street and Sly. I've seen it. Trust me, I've seen it. I get it. You're a law enforcement officer. You just got assigned to the grid. One of the most notorious drug-infested holes in, in the community. And every day you drive in there, you're thinking, how long am I going to be assigned to this area? I got to get out of here. And you're terrified. This isn't the job for you. It's just not. It's not. That fear alone will make you 
execute a bad decision. If you don't have ice water running through your veins and you have the ability to stay calm in stressful situations or environments, become a pastor, Sunday school teacher, IT guy. I don't know. Do something that's a less likely for you to end up in a brawl or shots fired. But if the job's not for you, you can't kill someone, harm someone, make bad decisions that are outside of police protocol, the SOP, based upon maybe it's not the right job choice. And trust me when I tell you this, I don't know if I'd be a good police officer because if things went south and I got into that survival mode too quickly, I would escalate. I might, I might be a bad police officer. I might be that guy who decides I want to go home on time and have dinner with my family, pull up my service revolver and shoot a guy in his butt cheek. And then listen to my two whole CD. Did I say two? I mean, two chains CD on the way home. I might be that guy, but I know this. That's why I'm not a police officer. I don't have the patience. If you're impatient and you're unable to follow great protocols that have been put in place to protect citizens, uphold the law, and protect our law enforcement officers, try something different. You're not a failure. You're not a quitter. It's not your thing. What if I were a police officer? What if you were a police officer? What would you do? Somebody you're talking to, you're being kind and generous. You're doing all the right things. You're following protocol. And I don't know where this guy slaps the twist out of your mouth. Pow! Slaps the... What do you do? What do you do? Huh? I mean, the first thing that's probably in your mind is, oh, I'm going to make you pay. That would be the first thing in my mind, probably. I wouldn't be thinking, hey, why'd you slap me? <laughs> my thing would be, you get the two-piece. You get the special. That's why I'm not a police officer. But at the same time, I know that you have to be ready in every situation. If I approach this gentleman, this lady, and she turns violent, what's my next move? I'm a pilot, and we're always trained to look several steps in advance. The plane is moving hundreds of miles per hour, and if you get behind your aircraft, you can be a dead man quicker than you realize it. Never fall behind the speed of your aircraft. Well, the same thing holds true in law enforcement. You can never fall behind the pace, flow, and escalation of a situation. Is there enough training? Have you asked for training? Is there a special academy that's available that maybe officers should have to go back through? And I know you're thinking this right now, police officer, going, man, you must be out of your damn mind if you think I'm going to go back to some type of academy. I've done my academy. I got the job. Shut your face. I know that's what you're probably thinking. But if it made you a better officer, it reduced the likelihood of you having to discharge your weapon on someone who may not deserve it. 
if it brought you home to your wife and kids, would the continuing education be worth it? If you go to work for Ford Motor Company and you want to be an executive, you're going to go through leadership training, logistics training, fixed operations, sales, marketing. You're going to go through different departments. If you get a job at Google and you're a coder, you're going to learn different coding languages and you're going to continually evolve because you just can't enter with one language and think that's the coding language that's going to be the language for the rest of, the, of all eternity. Angular JS, Angular 4, Angular 6. You're going to have to evolve, right? If you're a physician, in order to pass credentialing at a hospital, you're going to have to keep yourself current. If you're an attorney, you're going to have to go through a your CELs or CEUs to stay current. Stay certified. Is there a continuing education certification process for law enforcement officers? Maybe there is. Maybe I just don't know about it. But if I've never heard about it and I don't know about it and none of my friends ever talk about it in law enforcement, maybe it's not that substantial. How can we give individuals extreme power, the power of the law, and then we don't support them with a proper training, mandates, and technology? I've heard some law enforcement agencies say that they can't afford body cameras or they can't afford to use the body cams because they don't have enough storage in the precinct. Or there's a thing called a cloud that you can actually plug in your body cam at the end of the day and upload the footage to it while you're off duty. Your body cam updates, uploads, right in the cloud. So the first thing we've got to do is expect peer accountability from other law enforcement officers to look at their partner and say, enough. We're not asking you to jump on their back and have officer-on-officer -officer combat. Although, that might be a good little reality show. I may have to write that down. Hold on. But seriously, we're, we're not looking for that. No one's looking for that. But there has to be an expectation of continuing training that's a lot more serious, detailed, other than just qualifying with your weapon and going through some briefings. And again... If there's something out there, I want you guys to call me and say, no, this is the every biannual, whatever it is, intensive training that's academy-like that keeps us updated on the latest, greatest laws, technology, techniques outside of a briefing from a sergeant who's overworked and maybe undertrained. There has to be more accountability. There has to be more training. And I think there's some individuals that may need to come to terms with the fact that they're just not a good police officer. He or she may not have the mental capacity, the emotional intelligence, the good old-fashioned tolerance to be able to function in a dangerous environment. Not everybody was blessed with that. Not everybody at all was blessed with that. So what if I were a police officer? I'd want to go home at night. I wouldn't want to murder anybody. I would come to grips with the fact that I may have to kill someone. I would. And I wouldn't be excited about it. 
I would want additional training. I would hold my fellow brothers and sisters in blue accountable to make the right decision. I would not allow them to get into a position where it's over their head. That's something that happens. And in the event that I try to do all those things and they still end up in a bad scenario, I would intervene without fear of losing a friend or feel like I was breaking some type of bro code of stepping up and pulling them out of the shit. When you see someone going into the pit, the pit of destruction and despair, and you're going to take an entire department with them, including myself, if I don't have the cojones to walk over and whisper in that guy's ear and say, take a step back, let's put him in the car, then I don't need to be a police officer. Because I am weak. I am a punk. If I am unable to be a leader, to be a brother, to be a voice for that individual and myself and my family, who I would never choose to disgrace. With that said, if I've done my job properly and I am trained and I'm in a situation where my life is at threat, I would be able to pull the trigger. I'm sorry for all the people who don't like guns. I would put a cap in somebody's ass. I could do that. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't be excited about it. I wouldn't be bragging. Bro. Shot him in his foot. I shot him in his butt. Made him tap dance. I wouldn't be excited about it. Taking someone's life is not something to be excited about. Even Taking someone through great bodily pain and harm is not something to brag about. Don't get me wrong. I like the final Rambo movie. I like action films. There's nothing like, you know, watching a superhero and give somebody a good beat down. I get that. I love it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to act like I'm holier than now. And I don't like to see somebody get a good old fashioned ass whooping sometimes. It's human nature. We've been, we've been engaging in this since, I don't know, before the Coliseum days, it's, you know, it's Mortal Kombat, it's gladiators. I mean, we've been doing this stuff. It's just us. We call it UFC nowadays, but we like a good fight. I get it. But when you're at work, it's not the time to get that in. Trust me, when I was younger, my brothers and I would go out to a club or go to a party and there was a lot of us. We rolled deep. And if somebody started crap with me and my brothers, we would fight each other to get to them. It was an honor and a privilege to drag somebody. That's young men. That's how we think. It's what we do. But as a law enforcement officer, like a pastor, like a judge, like a school teacher, there's different people in different positions that we hold to a higher calling, to a higher level of scrutiny. You are in that job position. If a plumber goes out and does something stupid, you go, yeah, he's a good plumber. He likes to drink a little bit and he's a good guy. But if your local pastor does it or the law enforcement officer or the circuit court judge 
or your attorney or your primary care physician or the individuals that we trust more than anybody in the planet does it, it's different. You should know this. You are accountable. You are going to be, will be, should be held to a higher level of accountability. So a couple things I want you to get out of this. Think about what would you do if you're a police officer? How would you behave? What if I were a police officer? What if you were a police officer? Think about it. Would you be a good police officer? Or would you be a bad one? And if you think you'd be a bad one, would you apply for the job even if you needed the money? Or even if you wanted to, you know, you had a dream of being a peacemaker and protecting the public, would, should you take the job? Should you be allowed to have the job? What are the protocols in place right now for psychological analysis? Law enforcement officers, become a peer leader. Learn what peer leadership is. Learn what managing it up and down is. Leading up. It's time. You're the only individuals on the planet that can change what's going on right now on the streets and in the law enforcement community. No politician's going to change that. They're not going to be in the patrol car with you on a daily basis. Clearly a camera is not going to change it. You must change it. You must care enough about your brothers and sisters in blue to stand up for the integrity, the character, the values that the citizens associate with the role and the title of being a law enforcement officer. You must do this. Only you can do it. Only you can fix this. I can't. A new captain, a new sheriff, they won't fix it. They can't. So if you really love the job, then protect it, value it. And for all of those law enforcement officers that have those two or three guys that you walk away from every day and you say, that guy's a nutbag. I just stay away from him. Maybe someone needs to talk to him. You can't walk away from that guy again knowing that he's a ticking time bomb. You can't. So here's what I've got. I've got a gift for law enforcement officers who are wishing, hoping, dreaming of running for captain's position, an elected position like a sheriff of a county. I have a group called Election Squad Marketing who would be willing to select individuals who are willing to step up and run for that seat. Let me say this again. If you are in law enforcement and you'd like to run for an elected position in order to make a difference and you feel you can do it and you can pass a vetting test, Election Squad Marketing is willing to offer campaign creation, branding, website, and content creation for those individuals at no charge. But you got to pass vetting. If you know this individual or if you are that individual, all you need to do is reach out to me on DM or the Daily Life Coach on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter 
and we'll start the process of seeing if we're able to help you out in any way, starting from consultation all the way up to a fully in a box campaign for your election process. Because I'm the type of person and my friends and my business partners, we don't like to just look at a situation and talk about it. We put our money where our mouth is. And so we've talked to election squad marketing and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. You know, I really wanted to talk more about this situation, but I don't think now is the time. I don't want to appear to be an opportunist. I don't want to put any fire on a very sensitive subject matter. But I did feel talking to the law enforcement community and giving a little bit of a human comparison between myself and how I envision myself and hopefully how you have envisioned yourself being a law enforcement officer, maybe that'll shed a little bit of light on what goes on and some of the challenges and how we can find solutions within the law enforcement community without tearing it apart or losing any more confidence with our citizens around the world. For those of you who uh, were surprised that I would be willing to hold that position and I would be willing to understand I would have to, at times, be violent. I apologize. It's, it's my nature. I'm a human. I'm a protector. And sometimes protectors are able and willing to do what it takes to protect others. But it has to be done properly within the confines of the law, out of the SOP. And it has to be consistent. It can't change when I've had a bad day. It can't change if I've had a fight with my wife. It can't change if my health is failing me. It can't change if I didn't get the position that I wanted. It can never change. It must be consistent as rain. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Daily Life Coach. I am praying for my country. I am praying that we're able to kill this force that I call division. And I hope we're able to bring things together. I hope mothers are able to feel safe that their sons will come home from school, from college, from the store, from work. I pray that the men and women in blue who serve and protect our country are able to evolve, rise up, and restore the faith and confidence that's been lost throughout our country. Their families depend on it. We depend on it. And the law enforcement community is depending on it. Thank you for listening to The Daily Life Coach. Check us out on Spreaker, Apple iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, and the list goes on. I can't even name all the outlets. We're just waiting for iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, where are you? Talk to you next time. And remember, live fearless, my friends. Fearless.